0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of appropriate ages, welcome back to another episode of Because I Have a Live Mic here on Fluent Radio. Today, I have a special guest with me. Today, I have Jeffrey Clark from bulls, Chicago Bulls Confidential on. How are you doing today, sir?
1: I'm doing just fine. Thank you for having me.
0: No problem. Yeah, we, we got to have, had to have you on here because you know NBA draft is coming up on Wednesday, and we wanted to talk about bulls. We want to talk about um, the Bulls basketball. So we're gonna jump right into it. Um... With the drafts coming up, the Bulls actually have a relatively high draft pick this year. Uh, who do you think the Bulls should, should draft? Because it's actually, you know, stacked, kind of stacked this year. So, I wanted to see who you think the Bears should pick up. I mean, the Bulls should pick up.
1: Well, I think it all depends on uh, who's available. Because getting the fourth pick was obviously a nice uh, step up from getting the seventh pick in a row. A uh, seventh pick three years in a row. Yeah. Uh, but... If you take a look at some of the uh, prospects that are on this draft board, um, I, I think you know, if you go to NDA draft on that particularly right now they have LaMelo ball falling to the Bulls at fourth and yeah. I think it'd be nice if the Bulls could get him, you know, six eight one or eight pounds. That's amazing for a point guard. I don't think Anthony Edwards is gonna be there. He'll probably be the first one to go. James Wiseman will probably be off the board at that point. However, if the ball is picked by Golden State or Charlotte, if they think Anthony Edwards is going to go to Minnesota at first, I think you have to address need, and the Bulls definitely have a need at squad four because you, you take a look at their uh, at their depth charts. Uh, I mean, Otto Porter, Chandler Hutchison, uh, but that's pretty much all you've got. If you want to slide that, you're still going into that pot you can, but you, you really can't get more power forward. So that being the case, I think that their best option would be at of the uh the swap forward out of israel and the bulls they, they really need youth at that position I mean, they, because they have it at almost every other position you got wendell carter at center lori Marketing at power for kobe white at point guard if to make a case for zach Levine still being young you probably can do that but um Net has his uh, nba comparison at hato turkalu which you who you probably remember from oh. uh of those great Magic and Kings teams all those yeah. years ago. But they say he's an all-around talented wing with great size, as his big strength. He's versatile, has a high basketball IQ, and I think there are a lot of guys on this young Bulls team that have that. His weakness, according to uh, this side, it, he's got below average wingspan for his size. and needs to bulk up, but uh, obviously that's uh, kind of an issue with a lot of guys who are just coming into the league and uh, here's the outlook Here's what really uh, stands out: that he's generally considered the best player of his generation in Europe. So, if the Bulls can not get their hands on him, I think they'll be in pretty good shape. Again, it will be nice to can get Lamelo Ball, but I, I say he, he should be all in on Denny if the uh, if Ball's not
0: there. I I, I kind of agree. I feel like if Lamelo isn't there, that they definitely should address that issue at small four. But uh, because I've been I've been pushing the James Wiseman train for a while ever since. Ever since he was in college, even you know when he had his issues that he had at Memphis, I was pushing the James Wiseman train for the longest because I think that addresses a need. Like I said, like you said at Small Fort, that they really haven't had a key factor for a while now. I think, I think if Lamella Ball falls, I I don't I'm a little torn because I think I think during the season before you know it got cut off, Kobe White was coming along, so I don't know if. Like I can see the benefits of having a Lamelo ball, but I don't. I wouldn't want to be like, okay, let's grab him just because he is there. But yeah, I I, I agree with you. I think they really do need to brush that uh, issue at small at small four because I think that's really a key fact that really held them back last year.
1: Well, yeah, let me just go back to another point that you brought about, James man. We all know about the the big controversy surrounding him. So his collegiate career was really no collegiate career at all. But but here's the thing. Uh, The NBA really doesn't care what you did in college because they just want somebody who can play winning basketball. I I mean, I know there are a lot of people out there who still get on some certain professional players because of what they did before they got to the NBA. Probably the most notable example, at least in my opinion. Some people, I won't say who, but some people I've heard uh, still get on Derrick Rose's case because of the whole SAT thing that happened when – he was in college or high school or whatever that was. But if you can play winning basketball, then there are going to be guys in the NBA who want you on their team. So I don't think it's going to hurt James Wiseman. I mean, you hear about guys in college football who may have hurt their draft drafts, stuff that happened in college. I mean, I mean, guys got disciplined for stuff in, in college or bad behavior or whatever. But at the end, it really doesn't hurt them. They just – the, the big thing is, can you help this team win and can you be a productive NBA player? And pretty much everything you did as all goes out the window because now you're a professional basketball player. There are different expectations. As long as you behave at that level, that um, there are going to be teams that want you – as long as you're talented, as long as you're willing to be a team player.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I think – like you said, I think college – especially in college basketball, they don't really care because I also feel like the thing – this is going to sound weird, but luckily for, you know, college basketball scandals, it really only affects you for like a year because of the fact you're only there for like a year. Whereas in like college football, you kind of either stay around, especially if it happens early in your career. So it kind of hurts you a little bit down the line, but versus in like college basketball, it doesn't really affect you as much because you're only there for a year. So there's no time to like stew on it. But yeah, I, like I said, I've been pushing the James Wyman because I thought he was the best coming out and still is even with everything going on i really hope that the bull well i'm not so worried this year because luckily we don't have the guard pack um in there anymore so to mess up the pick which like they haven't really i mean they've done well with the last two but i think if you go past you know wendell carter they really haven't had too many great picks when it comes to like guard pack situation but you know luckily they're out of here thank the lord all of our prayers have been answered and then they, the new administration did get a, pick, a coach that I wasn't completely sold on in Billy Donovan. And a lot of people have come down on me and say like, well, what's the problem? It's just Billy Donovan, I think, really has lived off of that University of Florida and that one year where he took Oklahoma City to the Western Conference Final. And then in between, he really didn't do much with the team he had. And a lot of people saying, well, he didn't really have a team. Well, he still had Russell Westbrook, who's arguably one of the top players in the NBA. You got a young Steven Adams coming up. So I'm still a little bit like, eh, on Billy Donovan. But what what do you think of the higher that of Billy Donovan as a new Bulls coach? First of all, I want to
1: say, with Donovan being the head coach of the Bulls, don't bring back Joe Noah for one more go-round.
0: Oh, he no. Listen, listen. I love Joe Keen. I, I, I loved him when he was here, but I no, <laughs> just don't. <laughs>
1: Well, I'm just saying, you know, the, the college connection between him and Donovan, it's like like everything seems to be lining up, Like you still got to know his art foundation. But, but getting serious for a moment. <laughs> um, I think that uh, it was a great hire for the Bulls. Um, when I first heard about this hire, I was very, very happy about it because at the time, I think Donovan was uh, one of, if not the best head coaching uh, candidates on the market. And the Bulls actually decided to go out and conduct a proper head coaching a search, which was something that would not have happened at all under the Garpac regime. Um, I mean, Thibodeau was probably the last time they found a head coach where they actually conducted a proper search because everybody knew Fred Horvath was coming in at that one time, and then they just promoted him with, them, with Jim Boyle, and We saw how well that worked out. Yeah. But I, I think uh, Donovan Ray really has a knack for connecting with young players. We saw that in college with his best national titles with Joe uh, among his players there. And then his game transferred really well to the professional game, just like we've seen with Brad Steven, where he's also been able to connect with the young players in Boston. So I think the fact that he has come aboard and brought brought in what I think is a really, really good assistant coaching staff headed by Maurice Teague. I think it's going to be very good for a young team that I think is still trying to find its way in the NBA. I mean, yeah, we've got some young players who have done some things uh, at professional level, but Donovan is really the guy who can take those, these guys to the next level. I don't think Jim Boyle was capable of doing that at all because he was preaching a style that had just kind of gone out of fashion in the NBA, and the fact that the players didn't really respect him from day one uh, was uh, like a real eye-opener, but I think now there's the type of coach who can uh, command respect from these players, and I think he'll be very successful in doing that. I mean, I have right away because because uh, A.K. and Eversley don't need to bring the right players into fit his style, but I think Dobbin has the potential to be uh, among the best coaches in franchise history, and but hopefully be here for a long time because you know Garpage is really good at burning bridges, because we saw how messy the, the the Thibodeau. Situation turned out. And if we want to go back further uh, with Jerry Krause, we saw how well that relationship with Bill Jackson turned out. But I think when all of a sudden done, you know, he could be up there with uh, with Jackson and, and Tiz and Giant Rick Kerr and Dick Mada. Uh, I'm, I'm that high on him, and I think he's going to have a very nice run in Chicago.
0: Yeah, because I read your article about how they were, uh, how he was bringing in his uh, staff and he cleared out a lot of the guard pack from a lot of the guard pack administration was clearing out a lot of the assistant coaches. And I thought that was really important. Cause I was concerned to think that a lot of people who saw the uh, last dance documentary and remembered the good times with uh, John Paxton was going to be like, well, maybe we can give him one more chance. Right. Like I was a little, I was a little concerned about that. And I, but I hope, but luckily they, they saw through that and said, okay, we got to you know, change up new. Cause I think the guard, like you said, the guard pack situation burnt a lot of bridges, like with the Thibodeau with, you know, over, you know, just the past finals. So just me kind of cry watching Jimmy Butler take uh, a Miami Heat team to the NBA finals where he could have been on that team, right, where he could have been still on the Bulls team and pro- quite possibly could have took that to the finals. So I think this new administration, I think the AK, I think Billy Donovan will be fine. I just, like I said, I've just those, I was just one of those, like, I'm always just waiting to see because, like I said, I knew it wasn't going to be immediate because, of a, you know, it is a young team, but I still want to wait and see how this – New administration goes out and you know puts this team together. So especially now with them having a high draft they can get somebody that can probably stick around for a while.
1: Yes, exactly. But just kind of going back to what you said about uh, uh, you know guard packs. I know everyone likes the crap on guard packs. That's uh, the kind of the trendy thing right now. It has been for a few years. But but you really cannot uh, not John Paxton, especially on um, the kind of draft capital he is able to collect. or Really throughout his time. He first became general manager, and then was promoted. Um, I mean, you remember his very first well, uh, tri- oh, okay, his second draft. His first draft was uh, with Kirk Heinrich, if you'll recall. Right. Then his second draft, he was able to uh, draft Ben Gordon, and then require the rights to All Ding And for the most part, um, you know, I mean, he's had a couple of a uh, pretty bad drafts, but you know, if you look back at his first-round picks, they were pretty good. Um you know, you've got Carter, you've got Markinen whom they acquired. You have Kobe White. Um, I mean, you had Joaquin Noah, who no one was really high on when he first came to the league. They turned out to be one of the best players in team history. Derek Rose was kind of an obvious pick. But, uh, I mean, yeah, LaMarcus Soldiers you know, that trade is going to still haunt the Bulls for a long time. <laughs> yes. but, but otherwise, um, I, I don't think that uh, AK would have been uh, – if he was that on Paxton, I'm pretty sure he would let him go. I think the fact that he was able to uh, get that nice draft record and maybe have his input on who to pick in the draft, um, but the fact that he consulted consultant shows that he uh, still was confident in him. Obviously, he had no confidence in star Foreman because he was shown the door, and let's face it, over the past couple of years, Foreman made very few public appearances, and who knows what kind of strings he was really pulling. It was definitely Gar Foreman's time to go, but, you know, Paxton – uh, even before Foreman came around, or at least was promoted from uh, within the organization. He, I thought he'd make some really nice uh, picks. Um, now he, I know he won't be the one to make the picks from now on, but uh, at least having his input, it's obviously very important to the uh, current regime, uh, the new regime, whatever you want to call it. So I think uh whatever Paxton is able to bring to the table is going to be valuable, and hopefully it'll lead to the next year of winning Bulls basketball. Yeah, I
0: think. Yeah, I think, again, I think a lot of people... Well, again, I think it's just a lot of people only remember those... the, the or Not so much the earliest, but, like, the late, the last few years, because he did have a lot of... Again, it was a lot of high draft picks that turned out to be very well. Like, he said, Kirk Heinrichs, the Ben Gordons, the Joe Keems, who, I, again, like I think a lot of people still when he came out, it was a little bit questioned, but I think over the years he got better, especially, I want to say, like, his last three years with the Bulls where he really, you know, kind of took it to the next level and kind of became that, I don't want to say one of the top centers in the league, but he was, like, at least in the top ten centers of the league and where he was, even before Derrick Rose got here, they were looking at the Bulls of like, okay, you know, we have something here, and then, you know, the addition of Derrick Rose. But I also still just remember just those Derrick Rose years because, again, it was a lot of, not getting derrick rose not so much the players he needed but the help he needed right because they went and got a carlos boozer who i thought who if it was the carlos boozer in um utah that came to the chicago bulls and i think it would have helped but i think that carlos boozer there wasn't the one that we were hoping to get and it was still and i still that that still kind of leaves like a little taste in my mouth especially the when he got hurt and then like the trade of nate robinson getting rid of nate robinson and then kind of the I don't want to say they burnt the bridge with Derrick Rose, but just the way they treated Derrick Rose when he was leaving out, like the the trade to New York. Cause I still, every, if you watch it, like I said, if you watch the documentary and you see like the emotion that Derrick Rose had when he found out he got traded in the offseason, still kind of burnt. That was kind of the last straw with me with the guard pack. So that's like, that's why I always like, anytime like something happens with the guard pack, I'm just like, it's coming home to roots. Like karma's coming back for you the way you treated Derrick Rose on the way out. That's all I was, that's the only thing where I like kind of dunk on them for that.
1: Well, the thing about that, that whole Rose situation was that, um, I mean, like I said, and people always like to get on for and John Paxton for letting a good team fall apart, but they really were put in a no-win situation the moment Derek tore his ACL. I mean, that's a moment that the franchise is still reeling from, and yeah. there's no question about that, uh, because the, the team was built around Derek. if they before the end of that season, they found that huge contract extension, and he to get paid a lot of money to... Uh, he was doing what he was doing. But, I mean, I think we were all hoping that he would be the uh, the player that he had been, but he never really was. And he wasn't able to stay healthy for a couple of seasons. I mean, they like finally, uh, by the time Boozer was out the door and how the cell came in to replace Boozer, um, the team was a little better, but they still were not the dominant team they were in 2011 during the 2012 regular season. So I, I think what happened that right after Derek tore that ACL was they're just trying to get them. Players that could just plug some holes, and that's why he got Kirk Hunter, that's why he got Nate Robinson, and, and it, all the credit in the world to Tom Thibodeau—he got the most out of those players, and he ended up, he ended up uh, winning a playoff series uh, with them. Um, I, I just think that uh, too many people uh, don't uh, want to pin um, all the Bulls' misfortune on Rose tearing his I mean, I was just an eyebrow for a long time, but it's been eight and a half years since that happened. And, Kind of have to come to terms with that that if Rose doesn't tear his ACL, we could be talking about a different Bulls team. And the Bulls' chances of winning a championship with that group pretty much died the moment Rose's knee, uh, uh, you know, tore up. Because and then all of a sudden his other knee started tearing up. And I mean, I don't know if that was a byproduct of that, but you know, just didn't uh, have the the body to play with uh, in that style for such a long period of time. And unfortunately, the Bulls. Uh, were banking entirely the they're forced entirely on Rose and finally when he was damaged good, they shipped him out. So I mean it's kind of a sad story. I did get to see that Rose documentary that you talked about a few months back. Uh, but it's you it know kind of a no win situation. I mean you lose your franchise player, you kinda of, you kinda of have to react then and, and build your team to a to a way to a in a way that you have to uh, in a way that you can compete with the same telly guys you had you still had no you still had little no Al Dang. So you still got to find a way to make those guys succeed. Unfortunately, Jimmy Butler was coming up at that time, too, so not like he was like completely missed. But I think that um, so when you're, you lose your star player for a extended period of time and your team's effort go out the window, you just do the best you can with how you know how to build a basketball team. And I think, at the very least, uh, Garcats deserve some credit for how well the Bulls were able to succeed during that time, even though it wasn't the success that they were hoping to get true uh
0: there there has been a I don't want to call it a movement but kind of just an upswelling of people saying that they should bring Derrick Rose back I'm one of the few who's saying I don't I don't think they should I think it's just more of the more of the fairy tale ending of Derrick Rose of everybody of Derrick Rose coming back and winning the title here in Chicago for the city I don't think he should I think he should you know Probably go to another team and win it, but do you think that they should at least think about bringing Derrick Rose back? Uh,
1: I I don't think so. I mean, if you look at Jerry Reinsdorf's other team, the White side, I mean, they're going on they're banking on the stature right now. They're bringing back uh, Tony La Russa to manage the team, and see yeah, how well that was received, especially with the, after the uh, DUI story came out over the past week. Um, so, I, I don't think that the current regime is going to nostalgic again the way because you know, AK and Eversley, they and Billy Donovan, they have no history in Chicago. So they're going to build the team the way that they did Plus you gotta remember that Michael Reinsdorf is running the day to day operations. Jerry Reinsdorf is still the chairman, but yeah. Michael Reinstorf is the uh is the guy who is running the uh, the day to day operations for that team. So uh, with all that being said, I mean it would be nice to see Derek come back. Um I know a lot of people would be happy to see him return, but I feel like if you're going to bring him back, he'll probably be a little closer towards the end of his career, like maybe he gets to his mid to late 30s, because he'll definitely be in the twilight of his career by that. As for right now, uh, if they're trying to build a young team, plus you know, they've already got uh, Thomas Sederansky and Kobe White point guard, so where's where he going to fit in? Yeah, that's... They're trying to build a young, talented team that you can – go for success for a long time, and the guys that the Bulls have brought in in the front office, and as far as coaching goes, they have nice long track records of success, not championship winning success, mind you, but success nonetheless. And I think all the pieces in place for them to have a nice long run. I, and I think if you bring Derek back, I mean, I, I hate to say it because I love Derek, and I, I always have, uh, I, I don't think you can uh, – I don't think he can afford to disrupt whoever plan it is that they have in place. Um, th- again, it would be nice, but I don't. I just don't see how it would work out with this current group.
0: Yeah, that's what I was saying. Like, that's what I was trying to. That's what I'm trying to tell a lot of people. Like, it would be nice, but I think it's like, like you said, I think it would be nice for him to come back near the end where he can, you know, be a uh, kind of be like a Jawan Howard on the Miami Heat team that that year when he won the title. But I think it's just now. I think it's just you know, like you said, you got too many too young players that you don't want to disrupt their growth just to bring in kind of a a nostalgia act just to appease some fans right like so you don't want to do that just to you know make them happy but you know you're doing a detriment to your team but um with that being said about bringing in free agency uh I know a lot of people are up in arms about Russell Westbrook coming in saying that they think he should come in I kind of a little on bringing in Russell Westbrook to the team uh I want to say this before we get to free agency. Why do you think the Bulls have had such a, not hard time, but like troublesome time bringing in top free agents to like a, to like to the Chicago Bulls?
1: Well, I I can't really give you a straight answer as to who they should probably bring in right now. Uh, I mean, I know everyone's making a big deal about about next year's free agent class. Um, so I, I think that they'll probably be more focused on on that going forward. I mean, as far as short term goes. Um, it, it's kind of hard to tell because, I mean, you've got a lot of young players who are going to be around for um, a while, we, we hope. Um, I, I mean, we talked about uh, the small four needs the Bulls are going to have to address somehow. Uh, hopefully in the draft they'll be able to do that. unless they to get a little out of but we've already talked about that. Right. Um, but, but I think it's just the, the fact that we have such a short amount of time for an NBA offseason because I think the draft is going to be, what, Wednesday? Yeah, draft Wednesday
0: and then... Wednesday the uh, drafts Wednesday, then I think after that you have, a, I think, 10 days of free agency. Then after that is right to uh, camp. Well,
1: but, 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 yeah, because uh, cause the season starts on December 22nd and the drafts November 18th. So, yeah. I mean, it, that's, that's not a lot of time uh, uh, to uh, to build a team together. I mean, you still got you have to get a few preseason games there as well and open train camp in December. Um, you might recall, I don't know if you remember that, but you might remember uh, – in the 2011 uh, NFL offseason, there was a lockout, and teams were unable to uh, report to train camp uh, right away. Um, but, then, but then the lockout was resolved right before the season starts, so teams were like moving at lightning speed to try and, and plug up holes. And it, gets, it was like a very, really, very really quick free agent period, free agency period, and um, I think that the teams did a nice job with that. And the NBA is going to be in a very similar spot because because you know pretty much right after the draft they're going to have to get on the phone and start making calls about trades and and signing and with the Bulls having such a new regime I don't know if this is going to be the right off season to plug every hole I mean sure you can get some, you can get some nice uh, veteran there at a small board uh, maybe uh, maybe a nice backup there to try and mentor uh, Wendell Carter even though he's been in the league for a, a couple of years but uh, I mean, I don't know. It's gonna it be very, very interesting to see what the Bulls are able to come up with because every team is going to have to deal with this really short offseason. But you know, that's the result of the pandemic that we're in because we, because the the, the season just ended about a month ago, yeah. and now all of a sudden you have to go right back into uh, the the free agency period, and uh, you got to get right back to business and. I, I don't know. I, I can't tell you who exactly the Bulls should bring in because we're they're not going to get a lot of time to go into the deep bubble. I'm sure to think about it right now, but um, all these teams are rebidding for the guys' services, and uh, that there's no guarantee that anything of note is going to happen. Um, I think it's just as long as they plug up that three spot, uh, they'll be fine. Uh, and plus, with it being the first year under the new regime, there's going to be some growing pain. So no matter who you bring in, there's probably not going to be like, a whole lot of success this year. So they can definitely build on something. Then hopefully, uh, when they go back to an A two game season next year, which I, which I think they will, and um, they'll be able to conduct a more proper and thorough search for free agents, especially with that big class that's coming in next year.
0: Yeah, that 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 class is going to be one to watch. So that's going to be a free agency that I don't think we've seen it in a while in a long time, because that I think that that class has what Giannis in it. I think it has. um I forgot who else. I don't know. All I know is this is going to be the Giannis sweepstakes for a while with that free agency class. Uh, getting back to that, getting back to since we were on the topic of the pandemic, um, how did you feel the bubble worked? Because it was so far the only, you know, sport that played through the pandemic that had no outbreaks, either little to or no outbreaks. And it, to me, felt, I don't want to say a little bit more pressed or a little bit more exciting because it was such a shortened season well not even short season just like those 16 games and then the playoffs and how it was a little bit more exciting to me especially that play-in game with uh I still say which was arguably one of the best games of the entire lock-in with the um Portland and Memphis uh how did you perceive the bubble did you what you, did you think it's success and since how they're moving out to the stadiums how do you think that's going to work out
1: the Disney World Bowl could not have worked out any better. Uh, to my knowledge, there were no positive COVID tests, so I mean, that itself is considered a success. Um, I think the NBA did a pretty good job with uh, what they had to work with. I mean, I mean, the people were saying pretty much from the moment that they started talking about bringing the players back, saying go to Disney World because the Wide World of Sports has a lot of uh, uh, has a lot of facilities available, and they were able to pull it off just fine. What um, was there? Were some effects from not playing for a few months? Probably, but it still didn't make the basketball any less enjoyable. I mean, it, no, it wasn't like the most exciting or postseason ever, but but there were some uh, some other uh, there, there were some other uh, exciting games. I mean, you, you might remember that one game where uh, there was a block with Louisville finger, and that's what uh, oh yeah, the it, what, uh, uh, the uh,
0: Kawhi block, out. yeah yeah.
1: Yeah, so I think it was really
0: good. and that was your five your question. I said I said uh because how how do you think it's going to work since they're taking it out of the bubble and moving it into they're moving it to the arenas now like with the travel with the travels and all that cuz I've been saying for a while that I think it worked for the short period of time that the bubble was having. but even with a I don't know I don't know how many games, I think they're running like 62 games I don't know if the 62-game a bubble could work. So they're moving it out and going to arenas. So I don't know how that's going to work with the pandemic. That shouldn't be a thing that's happened because I think we've seen it now with the NBA, I mean the NFL, MLB, where we've had outbreaks even with stadiums without fans in it. So I don't know how that's going to work. But,
1: if it, yeah, and that's I mean, what I thought the prior question was. I just wanted to be sure. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's – it's gonna be really interesting because it, it, you probably you probably heard the news this week, at least I hope you heard the news this week that we're gonna everyone's gonna be able to get the vaccine by April. But but, but you know, that's still not gonna cover most of the uh, NBA season because um, I, I mean, hopefully their cases will be down uh, once they're able to get the frontline workers and the and the really uh, highly vulnerable popul- population vaccinated. But is that gonna be enough to bring fans back and more importantly, is that gonna be enough to uh, the players safe um it, you probably heard about the uh, Toronto Raptors are relocating somewhere for this season because they're the only team that's in Canada and you know uh you know travel between the U.S. and Canada is, is, is uh for all intents and purposes forbidden right, right now I mean mean, the NHL you've got all the possibility of all the Canadian teams having their own division this year so there won't be any travel there um, I, I, I really don't think you'll be able to uh have a hub uh right now because now you've got every team playing as opposed to uh, like two-thirds of the league playing um i i, I think that every team is going have to be uh really careful about what they do i mean I, I think they'll just have to be confined to their hotel rooms whenever they uh go to a new city i mean because i mean you can't have a bubble for for 2019 um especially when you have to play 72 games in a season that, that's just too much and it would just be able just go nightmare so they're pretty much get to do what the nfl is doing right now which is going from city to city and uh probably the best thing they can do is try and cut down travel time as much as possible if it means that uh the teams on the east coast can't go off to the west coast this year uh so be it um i, I mean you probably remember what baseball did they only played teams from within their divisions this year i mean you can't really do that in the nba because um, you only have five teams to a division, so what they'll probably have to do is I don't know, maybe they'll just confine the teams to their conferences this year to cut down on the on the trail of time so they're pretty much just going in a big circle. I mean I know in the Western conference you've got teams that are pretty far east in Memphis and New Orleans and Minnesota, but um you know that's, that could be the best thing for for them to do because you still got to declare safe as long as this pandemic is raging and this pandemic is it just keeps getting worse because all, all these numbers keep going up, yeah. and you have to keep the safety of these players and these coaches and these officials, and, and even broadcasters in mind, and, and all, all these all these uh, in arena of officials. So um, it's going to be very very interesting to see how the league is able to pull it off. But if they're able to make the Disney World bubble work, I think that this could be a success too.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think it's I, I, again I trust the NBA because they did figure out how to do it with. A limited amount of teams, so I I would want to see how they can do it with basically the entire league, and uh, even with the even if it's just like if it's not so much just conference, is it just if they just go like East and West conferences play in that, and then have a have the playoffs like that? I think that would work in a sense because it would be better than just trying to have in conference because they still have the playing game, which I think they should keep even after this after this thing is over. I think they should definitely keep that playing game because. It was one of the more exciting things that happened in the bubble. Right? Like you had the Portland Trail Blazers, who had almost no chance of getting to the playoffs, got in after you know Damian Little had arguably one of the runs of his career, and going you know, going against Memphis and that young Memphis team, who a lot of people thought who are looking at them as you know the future of the West right now. I think they should keep that, and I think that should, that would help kind of cut down on some of it. But at the same time, it's still kind of one of those things where it you don't you don't it's too many unknown variables in that situation where like you think you could have it under control, but again, there's still the human element. You still don't know what guys are gonna do, right? You still have, you know, no matter how many times you tell someone, listen, don't go out, don't go out. Somebody's still gonna try to go out, you know, do something that they should not be doing, especially a lot of those young players. They who, you know, this is their first time in the NBA, so it's just like I've been waiting for this for the whole time, like, to do NBA stuff. So I can't – it's hard for them to do it. But I – like I said, I trust the NBA a little bit more just because they did have a system where it was a little bit more locked down, so to speak.
1: Well, here's something very interesting because you're talking about uh, young people uh, going out. Um, You know, we were talking about this when you were trying to get beyond this. uh, Here, I, I told you I was in college radio. Uh, the college uh general manager who's in charge now uh he was telling me not long ago because because you know like like all other colleges and universities around the country all the, all the uh students had to go home afterwards. and what that meant was the station was on automation for for a few months okay. so but when the, but i guess when the uh, when the students were able to come back to the station when the student train would be brought back um, that they were actually uh they're actually pretty vigilant and, and very uh, cooperative as far as the protocol, but they had to in place for that station. I mean granted that, so we're talking about like a couple dozen, few dozen uh, college kids, but, um, but you know I, I think it's definitely uh, a reflection of that, you know, some young people are really, really taking this seriously. In fact, I'd go so far as to say that uh, almost all young people around that age are taking this seriously because I think we are seeing a demographic that's very vigilant about what's going on right now. Um, but obviously, it's really different when you're when you're a college student in a town, USA, as opposed to uh, a really young NBA player who's making billions and millions of dollars. Um, and you know, you want to do whatever you can with uh, with that money. Um, but, but you know, if the NBA was able to crack down on things that were going on in the bubble, I, you know, I'm optimistic here. But again, that was a bubble. They, they, all the teams were in one place, and they really couldn't leave without uh, with pressure. In fact, I know they couldn't leave without their uh permission i mean it is very different when you've got all these different cities that uh you're traveling to night after night so uh, again i'm optimistic um but i I think a lot of young people are more are smarter than we give them credit for but again you know i'm not an nba player i'm sorry to say i wish i had this uh (laughs) but um I, i think that the fact that people are so vigilant i mean you know especially when we and you know they're very aware of what's going on otherwise we now have seen the whole Black Lives Matter thing go on during the NBA bubble so I think that if they're aware of that they're aware of the situation that's going on in the world right now and I think that uh, because the majority of the NBA players uh, now uh, they were in that bubble so and I think that they'll be able to be cooperative again and the teams the players that weren't in the bubble um, I think they'll the example that they're listed and how successful that bubble was so I think they're going to be very cooperative not all of them but I think almost all of them will be and there won't be too many problems with that
0: not true I, I agree with that uh since you brought it up I do want to talk about this because a lot of people have been saying that the Black Lives Matter issue the kneeling the you know the names on a jersey was one of the reasons why the NBA lost money I kind of say it was because they didn't have stadiums so they didn't have ticket sales or jersey sales or any of that but uh, do you think that had any effect on like ratings or you know like I said or the money lost in the NBA this year
1: I heard some years ago don't let facts get in the way of a good narrative and unfortunately a lot of people like to push the narrative that the NBA lost money and ratings because of all these social things uh, they're like, hey, we just want to watch basketball. We don't want these social messages and politics shoved down our throats. I mean, first of all, this is not a political thing. This is a, a social thing. I, I don't think that uh, that uh, uh, you know this being politicized really helps anything. It really shouldn't be a political issue. It should be a human rights issue more than anything else. But um, as far as the ratings uh, are concerned, Uh, you got to remember, the NBA was having its finals uh, during a time when the the entire sports calendar was jumbled up, because you had the Stanley Cup final going on at the same time, the NFL just come back, college football come back, the baseball playoffs were going on, so you have all these major sports that are fighting for attention, in fact, I mean, I don't think there's ever been a time before when all the four major professional sports leagues were on uh, productively at the same time for such a long period of time, so uh, everybody was just fighting for these ratings and unfortunately when you're all trying to get everything together in a, in a reasonable amount of time so you can start the next season um, you know, that's going to happen um i mean i watched the the nba finals at least as much as i could um and because because you know i me being a basketball fan I, I pretty much had to uh but i think that the idea of that players being focused some people like to say is kind of an overblown thing um just the fact that they happened outside of normal time of the year because you know, you know June is the time we watch the NBA Finals. We're not watching the NBA Finals in October. So, and, and you know, same thing with the Stanley Cup Finals. We're not we're not watching those in, in September October either. We're watching them in, in June as well. So, I think um, the NBA uh, will benefit or from going back to its normal schedule. Um, I, I think the people who say they lost because that they lost on a fast forever because and they became woke you know, that's their problems, and them not wanting to show quote-unquote politics down their throats, I think it's kind of a, a goofy narrative, but, and, you know, here's the other thing, I mean, I mean it, it, there are still millions of people watching the NBA Finals, so so how much of the, the bottom line was was really affected by it, and, you know, the economy got bad during this pandemic, so, um, you know, this money is going to be lost there as well, so, I mean, there's a lot of factors, but it's like I said, a lot of people don't like to get like to let the facts get in the way of a good narrative and unfortunately um, a lot of people ate into that. I mean, it didn't help that our, our soon-to-be ex-president was uh, complaining about um, all these things happening, but um, I think that once uh, things have settled down a little bit, which I hope they will over the next year, uh, things will be a, a little bit back to normal and you don't want to come back they, at their loss.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think, like I said, because like, I remember watching <clears throat> watching the NBA playoffs, um, watching the start of football hop up. that's uh, Baseball playoffs was going on, and I was actually invested this year because the Sox were actually in it. You had Stanley Cup Finals. You had everything going on at the same time. Like, that. it kind of, again, cuts into its own, you know, food, right? Like, if you're a sports fan, then, yeah, you're going to watch all – you're going to at least try to watch all the sports if possible. And, like, some things are going to fall by the wayside. So like, again, a lot of people weren't watching – again like normally most people don't really unless you're a true like basketball fan like you're not really watching the first round of the playoffs right like you're not really watching you know again uh the orlando magic versus milwaukee bucks because you kind of know who's going to win that series so i think again i like a lot of people like you said like a lot of the facts don't get in the way of a good story like if it feeds their narrative better to say like it's because of this that was going on not because you know there's a pandemic and people had to, you know, sports was watching. Some people were working during that time. A lot of people didn't have the time frame to sit down and watch, you know, a basketball game going on. So a lot of things were in its way versus just like, oh, it's this, it's this social thing. So I don't like it, so I'm not going to watch it. So, so I think that's yeah. more, yeah, that more fed into it than just seeing like it's sport, it's the social thing. I don't like it, so I'm not going to watch it. Like, okay.
1: Yeah, and again, that's that's their the decision to do it. Um, but you might remember all these you might remember that one uh, public service announcement that aired on TV. It, it showed uh, uh, um, you know, these uh, African American athletes who are performing on the court, the crowd was hearing them, and they're asking the question: "Look, if you if you knew that." Uh, if you saw me out of uniform you, and you didn't recognize me, would you treat me the same way? Like, like would you cheer for me? Would you say, oh, oh, oh this, is, this is a great uh, athlete and a, and a great person above all? So, um it, it, it kind of baffles the mind as to why some people would be so uh, prepared, like, for the better word triggered by by something that, that should have been uh, a long time ago, but I guess uh 400 years of uh, this kind of prejudice amongst a certain group of people. It doesn't go away uh, easily. And, and you know, it's possible that it won't go away at all. Mm. Uh, so, um, but, but, you know, we definitely have to make some sort of progress and uh, I think the NBA has been at the forefront of that as far as the sports world is concerned. Of course, the NFL has been doing that as well. Baseball did it for a bit. Hockey did it for a bit. But, but you know, the NFL and the NBA have definitely been at the, the forefront of this kind of movement. Plus, you know, sports and politics been mixed together forever. You know, you know, Jim Brown, Muhammad Ali, they were uh, they were very heavily outspoken about these things. So I mean, it isn't anything new. Um, but I think in the social media world, everything gets even more uh, magnified. So I, I think that well, that even more people than than probably they did uh, back then. I mean, even back in '96 day when you saw the uh, the two uh, track stars. Uh, uh, you know, racing their uh, fits for, for black power during the melt there, boy, that got a lot of people upset. So, yeah. again, it's nothing new, but <laughs> I think because of the times we're living in, a lot, a lot more people are focused on it.
0: True. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. Uh, getting back to the NBA, do you think this was a, uh, do you think this was the star-making performance for Jimmy Butler? Because this was kind of, i say this was kind of his coming out, you know, party, because, again, he had arguably one of the best playoff runs I've can remember in a while like beating you know beating the number one c who everybody thought was it was just destined for milwaukee and la to go there taking la to six games even you know even taking even taking la to six games taking taking on a boston team that a lot of people are saying are eventually going to be nba champions do you think that was like jimmy butler's coming out party of saying hey i am a true i am a star in this nba
1: I don't think there's any question about it. Uh, Jimmy Butler has been a winner from the moment he got into the NBA. Um, and I, I think it's because he had a really rough upbringing and uh, he wasn't heavily recruited in college. So uh, ever since he got to the NBA, got a chance he's got to work twice as hard to uh, prove himself Um I still remember the night the Bulls drafted him with the 30th pick in the first round. Everyone was really high on him then. Um, you know, he didn't really get off the bench during his first year, but then uh, over the next few years, he slowly but surely became turned from a, a great uh, bench player to a great two-way player to a great starter to an all-star. And I think finally, um, he really showed that he was a superstar. Yeah, he already won an Olympic gold medal during the Rio Olympics, but um I, he never really had the chance before to prove that he can lead uh, a team to the highest level because you know, the Bulls, I, I don't think, were ever fully uh, supportive of him um, just because of the situation that, that they found themselves in. Um, but the fact that he was able to get Minnesota it's their first playoff appearance in you know, a long time during his first year there, I, I mean, yeah, there, there was a little bit of a, a prima donna thing to him, but I think he was just upset about uh, not being able to not being put in the best position to win and he finally got that in miami and yeah i know that that there's some both are still mad at, at guard packs for that but you know they, they wanted to do a rebuild and follow was the best that they had at that time so they had to try and get something up for him I, I know a lot of people thought that they didn't get enough for him but barkins were pretty good for them you know chris dunn finally became a defensive specialist after Forever, and, and by the way, I actually saw Chris Dunn uh, play at the at Providence uh, when I was covering a game for DePaul, and I was in grad School. But um, mm-hmm. and then you know you got marketing, in uh, for that. Um, so and, and, you know Butler, he's in he his early 30s, so I don't know how much more of his prime he has left. But but you know, he's someone who always has tried to make his team a winner. And, and let me just go back uh, to one moment to when, when he was with the Bulls. I was at a, a Bulls Pacers game in Indianapolis, and. Uh, it was a really close game. Uh, Butler was able to make a shot in the final minute that put the Bulls up. And then, like like almost immediately, after he came back down the court, he was able to draw an offensive foul. And uh, that, that really changed the, the tide of the game. And they were a lot of Bulls fans because the Bulls had a, a good team last year. So um, I, I think that more than anything signifies the type of – Two-way player they was, but he definitely is a superstar right now. I don't think there's any doubt in anybody's mind. I mean, everybody was really high in him before, but he just ascended his game to another level. And the fact that he was able to take uh, this particular Miami Heat team to the to the finals is something that's going to uh, resonate people's minds for a long time.
0: Yeah, I I don't know if I wouldn't say he was so much a prima. I I think I know the years you talk about when he was in Minnesota, and it was kind of just <clears throat> I don't want to say he was a prima donna, but I did want to I do want to say he was kind of just trying to pull from what he said try to pull out the best in you know the team around him especially I think it was the year where they basically were like the Timber Bulls because they had I think Taj Gibson I think they had Joe Keem I think that was Derrick Rose um Jimmy Butler and I think it was just more he was I think even no I wasn't I think it was just more he was so used to winning or being you know in competitive and he saw like a lot of like Andrew Wiggins who if you want to label a bus, I think it's still, I think it's about time we can start talking about him in that category, but he saw cat. He saw those players there that were talented, but weren't living up to his, his expectations. So he kept trying to, you know, kind of push it out of him. That way he got the trade out to um Philly, but I don't know if I would call it so much a prima data years. I think it was just like, y'all not playing. So okay, so I'm going to make y'all play. So let's, all right, here you go. Here's the, here's me, you know, kind of making y'all play, especially the, uh, the picture that will always live with me is the image of when I think they were playing in L.A. against the Lakers that one year and he had he was uh, spinning the ball off of Andrew Wiggins's head. I think that was the image that got him officially it was like, OK, now we got to get him out because he was more more of a distraction than it was than a playing for, you know, winning at that time.
1: Well, maybe the the dial label comes out of uh, the, the way that the Bulls were able to, uh, under guard packs, to really vilify, for lack of a better word, uh, the people that were heading out. I mean, you, I mean, how many times have we seen a, a head coach or, or someone else in the organization get like painted as the bad guy and and then get shipped out either by firing or by trade? Um, I, I know that uh, Jimmy Flubber didn't really have the best relationship with guard packs, so so maybe they developed some sort of a reputation uh, for him. But, uh, you know, the man is, is a winner, and I'm sure the fact that he doesn't have that label anymore has to be like a, uh, be a monkey off of his back uh, because everybody respects him a lot more and it just goes to show that, you know, maybe the Bulls were wrong to undervalue him and uh, not yet uh, enough in return. I'm sure Zach Levine's been, been pretty good uh, for the Bulls, but... Uh, you know, he's not an all-star, just, yeah, you couldn't make an argument he should have been
0: an all-star this past Oh, he, year, but... he, year, he should have been. An, it was, he should have been an all-star last year. Like, I thought you it you could uh, make an argument that he was arguably... I think the game before all-star break, I think he, like, what, dropped 32? I think the game Something before... Like that. Yeah, he dropped 32, and it just was proven that he should have been an all-star because I think it was just... He was in a three-point shooting contest, and he said he didn't want to be in a dunk contest, which was fine, but, like, I think... That was the year where I think Zach Levine kind of came out and was like, I don't want to say like he's becoming, he's like the player, you know, that you want to build around. But I think eventually whenever we get past this and if the Bulls keep him for at least a few more years, I think if you want to build around somebody like a Zach Levine or a Kobe White, that they're there to build around. But yeah, he definitely should have been an all-star last year.
1: Well, again, that's. I, I think it just goes to show how how not respected our and John Scoxton were around the league, and I mean, I don't know if that was the reason Levine was left off the All Star roster, but I'm sure it didn't help that that he was uh, there, and that they, they wasn't uh, that they were there, and um, they both end up only getting one representative the entire All Star weekend, yeah. um, in the uh, in the skills competition. So I think that. Um, uh, you know, their, their reputation, uh, the reputation for them, and thus the reputation of the Bulls in general, was soiled. Uh, you probably remember during All-Star Weekend there was, when when uh, ESPN was there during doing a live broadcast some fire Gar packs chants broke out on national TV. And the fire Gar packs chants had been blowing around for a few years, but that was really the first time that those chants were heard nationally, and it, it really painted a, a really bad picture of the Bulls. I'm sure some people who who don't follow the Bulls uh, for a living, or or the first day. I'm sure they knew something about it, but that was really the first time the Bulls, uh, the Bulls fans, just noticed. But actually, with how the team was being run, was was really uh, brought to the limelight nationally. So I think that's why the, one reason the Bulls decided to go in a different direction. Um, I I don't, I don't know how exactly they were convinced that uh, they needed to bring AK in, but. Um, it, it definitely was the best thing that could have happened to them because, you know, packs are, are not in charge anymore. And I, I, think the, I think the Bulls and the NBA as a whole are better off for
0: that. Yeah, you know it's bad when Stephen A is saying, okay, okay, that's enough when they were chanting. That was because not only was it on in the paper when it, I saw it multiple times, people kept sending it to me like it has gotten to the point where they were ready to, when they were chanting it on national television, that people really started looking at it. Uh, so, I think, like I said, I think Zach should have been an also. Do you think? I know they're probably not going to be there for at least two to three years. But can do you see this Bulls team under Billy Donovan being uh, once again in that top echelon of NBA uh, NBA teams? I
1: think they have potential. Um, you know, you, you've got a lot of young assets that, are, like I said before, are are still developing. Um, they, they, they could probably get at least two or three all stars out of that group. Will it be enough to uh, to get them over the top and make them a championship contender again. It really all depends. Um, we've seen time and time again. Uh, whenever you are building a championship team, you also have to go from the outside via a trade or uh, or signing uh, free agents. Uh, because what were the Celtics uh, with Paul Pierce, but not with uh, but not with uh, Kevin Garnett or Ray Allen, I mean they were just they were a really bad team. And then well, once those guys got in, they were uh, you know they were championship contenders. They won a championship immediately. I mean what were the heat before uh, LeBron and Chris Bosh got there? I mean you had Dwayne Wade, but they weren't the a tile contender. Yeah, they already they won a championship already, but that um, they weren't seeing as a title contender at that point. I mean, I mean even the Cavaliers, we had Kyrie Irving. Uh, just and I mean, so they brought LeBron and Kevin Love, in, they weren't saying the championship contender. So that's why I think this next free agency period, not this year, but next year, is going to be very, very important. And I think it's important the both have all these guys in the front office now that are known for player relationships and player development so, um, because I think that. Um, if they're able to work their magic, we'll finally be able to get that premier free agent that is the Blue of the Bulls for such a, a long time. I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong. Carlos Boozer was was a nice guy in 2010, but you know, he, he wasn't LeBron. He wasn't Wade. He wasn't Bosh. Um, I mean, yeah, Pau Gasol was, uh, he was a nice uh, player for the Bulls. He had, he had uh, I think, a couple of star appearances uh, while he was a Bull, But he, uh, you know, he was at the back end of his career. He wasn't the type of player to... Uh, Uh, to lead a team to a championship anymore. I mean, it can get Kobe uh, in 2009, 2010 in order to to do that in 2008 just to get back to the finals. So um, I I think the Bulls can do it. I think they have the right uh, guys in charge right now to make it happen. But in the end, you you have to land that big fish. And that's why next offseason is going to be so important. And uh, why this season as a whole is going to be important because you have to show the rest of the league, you know, this is what we're building. And this is what we are going to do, and we hope that you can believe in enough in us that we want to uh, that, that, that uh, we're going to be your destination of choice. And, and unfortunately, the Bulls have not been any premier free agent destination of choice because you know, in addition to uh, all the uh, uh, to all the uh, the crap that uh threw, I mean, it's a northern city, um, you know, players in general want to be playing warmer weather cities. I mean. Uh, teams like Chicago and Milwaukee and Minnesota, they have to work twice as hard to uh, train try and lure players there. Um, and that's why drafting is important. I mean up so until now the bowl's best chance of success of the building for the draft because there's no way free agents were here Tom Harris not premier free agents. But now they have new guys in charge I think they have a better chance of making that happen.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. Uh before I get you up out of here, we do I, I wanna talk about this. Um so we just had the announcement that Jose Abreu was an AL Central, ML, uh, AL, AL MVP. Uh, like you said, we got Tony LaRusso as the White Sox manager. Yay. How, how did you perceive last year's success with the White Sox versus upcoming? Because I, again, you get somebody in Tony LaRusso who was burnt out with baseball and at 67 now he's 10 years older, you think he's going to be the same. I don't know if he's going to be the same or not, so I don't know how Tony La is going to translate with that team, which is kind of young on the young side, but still in a position now where I think they are kind of a championship pennant race type of uh, team. So, how do you perceive that that baseball team going? Well,
1: I think the White Sox definitely have they have some talent. I mean, I, we know that now. use the MVP. we have got Gold Glover and Luis. Least- Roberts, and he had a, he had, he had a few uh, Silver Slugger Award winners as well. Um, and yeah, Rick Renteria, who finished second place in the of the year, but that's not a, an issue uh, anymore because now you've got La Russa in charge. Um, I'm, I'm very, very skeptical about the La Russa hire even before this, all this DUI stuff came out just because he's, he's been out of the game for a long time, but, uh, but you do even uh, I mean, I, mean I, I think that something could happen to uh, blow this all up, but if it does then um, you know, there's a lot of talent on this White Sox team. You have, you have Tim Anderson, who was the 2019 batting champion. Um, you know, Eloy Jimenez, really, really powerful. Uh, you have uh, Yasmaya Grandal, is a pretty powerful catcher. I know he had kind of a down here last year, um, but who knows if James McCamp did, be brought back. Uh, but then you've also got uh, uh, Gio Lito and Keiko at the top of that rotation. So uh, hopefully, uh, I, I mean, I personally think that there will be enough talent in order for them to overcome any shortcomings that La might have, assuming he's still the manager uh, for next year, um, that they'll be able to get back into the postseason. But what kind of uh, – how is that going to affect – how is the presence, rather, going to uh, affect their uh, free agency signings, uh, who they're going to sign? I mean, you have, you have one guy, Marcus Stroubaugh, who already said he's not going to play for La Russa. So, to be speaking for all the other premier free agents, that they're trying to uh, uh, to uh, attract. I mean, I mean, look at the Cubs a few years back when they were just building their championship team. They, uh, you know, they had some uh, pretty talented guys, but not enough to put them over the top. But then they got John Lester, and they got guys like uh, like Jason Hayward and, and so on and so forth. Ben Dobris. I mean, those were guys who had won before, and they were able to. Uh, Go change the team out, and that's the other problem with the uh, with the White Sox, because they really haven't been able to attract some premier free agents. I mean, he, I mean, yeah, Kyle had a really good season for them last year, and you know he was a veteran had championship experience, and and Grandal it, it was a really nice uh, addition for them. I think he'd do a little better, uh, but now you have to uh, replenish the team even further with some more top free agents, guys who have won before. Um, and I think you definitely have a chance to do that. I mean, I think Rick Hans out a difficult time trying to convince some of these top players that, uh, look, we know that you're skeptical about the Russa because he's been out of the game for a while and he has a different style and you may not agree with everything that players are doing nowadays, but, you know, if he's got all this talent that will be able to overcome it and we promise that you're going to be happy here. So, I mean, I think La to hire makes things more difficult. But um, I think at the very least, the stocks have enough talent that at the very least they'll be able to get them for a division title next year. If we're lucky uh, that they'll be able to go beyond that, um, I, I think it all depends on uh, how well they, the league responds to the team and how the stocks in return are able to respond to uh, those adjustments. Because that's what baseball is all about. You have to adjust, adjust, adjust. And that's how teams get ahead. And, uh, again, I think the White Sox have the talent to do it. It just depends on uh, where they're able to do it, especially with being the guy in charge right now.
0: Yeah, I, I've, I've still been on this trip where I said, like, the White Sox need that one more pitch. I think they have – I think they have – again, Giolito probably the, is the ace of that uh, bullpen. Uh, Kaiko had a good year uh, last year. I think they need a third man in that rotation. that I think they need You know, to establish that as a very good – <clears throat> pitching staff because they have the bullpen back up with it, but I think they were missing that third, you know, starting pitcher would help because they had the bats for it. Uh, I think Louis Reese Roberts is a star right now. I think he is, is I don't know what it is about, you know, you don't want to put the star label on people. I have not seen anything in his game that has diminished the fact that I think he's a star right now. Um, but like I guess I think the, the higher LaRusso was one of those hires where I just like, i get it because again like i said he he was here before maybe a little bit of nostalgia but he also has that background and he has the pedigree to go with it to kind of help and also it didn't help rick uh when he once they clinched the playoffs they kind of went on that downward slide it didn't help him with that but i think like i said i'm just i'm more skeptical than it's like okay let's see how this goes even before the whole uh, dy thing situation happened I was just very much like all right let's see how this goes with Tony russa like I was just like mm. yeah so, I mean it, it, again
1: they're just going to find some way to overcome that. and, and who knows maybe lusa will be able to connect with these players in a way that uh that we're not seeing right now um but uh, you know I, I think you're absolutely right they do have to uh to I'll find that other guy in the rotation because the, the, that, that rotation uh, was uh, was not in good shape by the time the playoffs rolled around because you only had two rival guys in Gleyde and, and Tygo. Even Tygo faltered in the playoffs during their uh, during their uh, one playoff series. So um, I think starting pitching is is going to be the uh, be the key uh, uh, target for them uh, once they're able to start talking to free agents. And I think. Uh, I think they have enough offensive talent. They'll probably want to round out the lineup in a, in a couple of areas. But um, you know, pitching, pitching, pitching is going to have to be the area that they're going to have to uh, go in and uh, try and find some guys, especially with the uh, rotation. I mean, we're at time in baseball right now where stars are not going very deep. And, um, and the fact that the Sox only have a couple that can go uh, six innings or more consistently is, uh, is definitely a concern. And I think uh, they'll be able to find somebody who can uh, fix that problem. So you need one, but preferably two uh, more starters to uh, try and fill that rotation. now. I mean, who knows, Michael Kopech might uh, might come out and be the player one thought he was. I mean, they're still high on Dillon Seat. Uh, Lopez Lopez, I, I think his chances of being a stalwart in the rotation are pretty much shot at this point. But I think... Uh, I, I think they have the resources now to uh, uh, to get somebody um, in their rotation to round it out and definitely support that lineup. And like I said, I think they'll find somebody to uh, be in their everyday lineup to plug some holes, especially in the right field, maybe a second date. But otherwise, um, you know, the team has a lot of talent, and I'm excited with what they can do with or without La as their manager.
0: Yeah, true. Well, uh, we're about to get up out of here, so please let the people know where they can find you, where, you know, your Twitter handle, all that fun stuff.
1: Yeah, sure. So I'm on Twitter at GFClark89, you know, G is in George, in Frank, Clark89, and um, I'm on Chicago Bulls Confidential, I'm a writer there, and then I'm also on Fighting Irish Wire, which is a Notre Dame site uh, that's supported by... USA Today. So I got a few things. Oh yeah, and also I got a podcast about 92 culture called 92 Life, and and all that. In my my Twitter biography. So GF Clark A-Hank, where you can find me and all of my content, and I hope you check it out. And by the way, check out Chicago both Confidential and Fight Irish Wire. There's some really talented writers there that, uh, and we all love we love what we do. So I hope that everyone will be able to uh, give us a uh, give us a look, and hopefully you'll like what you find.
0: Yep, all that will be linked in the description below, so y'all can check it out. We well, appreciate you coming on to the show. Very much uh, happy to have you on. Uh,
1: thank you very much, James, and I hope that uh, you have the best of luck with your show.
0: All right, thank you. Uh, well, that is it, ladies and gentlemen. Once again, shout out to Fluent Radio for putting me on. Uh, we will be back next Sunday with all things sports. Uh, keep you can keep uh, keep up with me on Facebook, all that fun stuff. Uh, check out the podcast on Anchor. Apple Podcasts, Google, all that fun stuff. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, deuces, two fingers.